0: Hi, everyone. Dan Cassidy here. Welcome back to the Sustainable Investing Perspectives podcast here on the UBS Conversations podcast channel. Joining us for the conversation, glad to welcome back from the UBS Chief Investment Office, Amatia Muhadini. Amatia is a sustainable and impact investing strategist for the Americas. Glad to welcome as well Gita Ayer, the president and founder of Boston Common Asset Management. Amantia and Gita, it's great to be with you both. Thank you for spending some time today with our listeners, our clients. Welcome and very much looking forward to our conversation. So up front, before we dive into our focus topics for today, I do want to point out to our listeners, our clients, that our conversation will tie right into the latest edition of the monthly Sustainable Investing Perspectives publication, which, by the way, can now be located up on UBS.com slash CIO. So with that, let's dive right into the focus topics for this month, beginning with emerging markets. And as cited within the publication, Amatia, the chief investment office does see opportunities to diversify portfolios away from the U.S. and develop markets and into EM emerging markets. So can you speak a bit, Amatia, to the underlying tailwinds behind this view?
1: Yes, of course. Um, thank you, Dan. And it's interesting, um, this is a conversation about sustainable investing, but of course, as we like to say uh, from CIO and, and on this podcast, Sustainable Investing, is about investing. Um, and so the question of EM exposure is one that uh, comes up both on a tactical basis. Um, we um, have seen shorter-term opportunities uh, for investors to start to reallocate or lag like back into emerging markets uh, in sort of recent months. Uh, in part driven by China's reopening, but also to think about longer-term strategic allocation. We find that many investors, uh, in particular in the U.S., may have lesser exposure to emerging markets than um, a strategic allocation um, would, would would indicate. And so, um, this is a good opportunity, as any really, to think about what are those longer-term trends and tailwinds, to use your word, that support EM. Um, if we think about this from our longer-term uh, thematic investing framework, we see at least a couple that are interesting and stand out for emerging markets. Um, number one, uh, what we, we're looking at is that emerging markets, in our view, may benefit more from a uh, structural driver, like the fact that they have generally younger demographics than developed markets. Um, and, and especially, and this matters in particular because they also have a, uh, a second trend, which is a shift from, uh, kind of rural areas to urban areas or, or rural to urban migration, which is essentially really a quickly gathering pace. Um, what we're looking at is data from the UN World Urbanization Prospects that indicates that, um, 68% uh, of people who live in, um, uh, so of people in Birmingham, excuse me, are expected to live in urban areas by 2050 compared to uh, a, a much smaller number in 2018. So that shift, in our view, is one of those tailwinds. Uh, it makes us look for investment opportunities that are aligned to this um, kind of trend in emerging markets. Now, another way of thinking about it uh, is, and, and perhaps this isn't as as positive or as uh Structural, But is, um, if we think about sustainability, we're thinking about topics like climate change as well and how it impacts and interacts with people's uh, movements and well-being. And uh, what we know from um, a variety of data sources is that climate change is likely to impact lower-income countries, so including emerging market countries, um, the most. And what this implies for us is also a need for investment in areas like infrastructure, climate adaptation, climate mitigation, where we see and expect to see an increasing focus over the next decade on these areas, which, again, should serve as a tailwind for those investments um, as, as investors think about what does exposure look like for EM for the longer term. Let me stop there. Lots of, lots of thoughts and ideas there, but, but what's important for our listeners, I think, is just to think of these max. Macro, macro structural drivers and how they guide long-term portfolio views
0: well thank you amantia for expanding on that for us so these tailwinds gita that amantia had just cited what kind of opportunities do they present from your vantage point for investors with a longer term time horizon in particular when it comes to identifying more sustainable companies
2: thank you uh, for that question and uh we definitely view the combination of market forces, uh, companies' own innovations, uh, shifting consumer preferences and technological breakthroughs alongside kind of the broader demographic trends and some interesting and exciting policy action and regulation uh, as all kind of sustaining the opportunity side of idea generation in our investable markets. It clearly comes after a year of rising and unpredictable fossil fuel costs uh with a lot of uh, concern following the COVID crisis. So uh, we appreciate the articulation of a risk and opportunity framework. And so we seek companies that handle the risks better. We are clearly seeking companies who are going to have uh, exposure to the solutions or the are benef- beneficiaries of the growing end market trends. So uh, one way to think about it is that our companies look better. They have quicker break even they have higher market share and, and policy support potentially supporting the infrastructure and creating durable demand for their product. This could be in the form of, um, of solutions to not only to domestic demand, but also to global demand, where emerging markets in particular come in with very attractive cost structures. You are also seeing internally uh, a growing awareness among the consumers for these uh, types of goods the awareness of the impact of um, air quality, of healthcare considerations, of increase. So, tied into the broad demographic and macro trends is a growing underpinning of consumer demand and technological breakthrough. We think the opportunities are very exciting at this point.
0: Well, it sounds like there's a lot of considerations at this time when it comes to opportunities to be mindful of. So thank you, Gita, for citing those. I do want to pivot a bit to our next focus topic for this month's conversation. This is continuing on with our regulatory updates. And within the publication, it does highlight that the European Union, the EU, recently approved new standards for automobile emissions, while the U.S. is also working towards similar standards. This, in addition to those for for power plants, so a lot going on in this space. So, Amatya, what are the prospects for the US proposals in particular for those to take shape, and what are the anticipated impacts of such standards should they materialize?
1: true that we seem to always have a regulatory update. As um, I think I mentioned, there's a lot of interesting policy and regulatory action really globally um, ar- around topics related to sustainability. Um, let me start with the EU, although I will <laughs> uh, spend most of the time discussing the U.S. policymaking. So um, the European Union at the end of March um, a- a- adopted a some additional guidance and-, and regulation as part of its Fit, fit for 55. Uh, plan, which aims to um, get the European Union to achieve its uh, objective of reducing carbon emissions by 55%, uh, which is that 55 in the number. Um, So so as part of this most recent push from the EU, they adopted a rule that imposes stricter emissions standards for passenger cars or personal vehicles as well as small vans uh, that are sold in the European Union. Um, uh, that, that would require essentially these, um, uh, firstly, these, these individual cars to have fewer greenhouse gas emissions, but most importantly, the car makers, the automakers that produce them to reduce the overall fleet emissions by, uh, I believe 55% by 2034. So this, uh, already was adopted by the European Council. And interestingly, really just two weeks later, the U.S., um, Environmental Protection Agency uh, came out with a proposal for a standard that looks broadly similar, uh, at, at least in, in sort of contour. So the EPA proposal would require similarly a 56% reduction in emissions from personal vehicles and vans that are sold uh, in the U.S. in the years between 2027 and 2032. Now what the EPA estimates um, is that if this rule comes into force, um, car makers, in order to comply would have to increase their sales of electric vehicles uh, significantly and, and to the point of EVs making up about sixty seven percent of sold uh, vehicles in the US by two thousand and thirty two. Again, this is the EPA's own estimate. Now, to your second point here, what is the chance of this proposal actually becoming a rule and coming in force? Um, that's, that's of course, an, an important question. Um, we, we hesitate, we wouldn't want to speculate on this, but would note that a lot of this rulemaking has been uh, fairly contentious in the U.S., um, as of late, um, if very recent history serves you know, as an indicator, it, it's likely that this rule will also face some, a little bit of an uphill battle before it comes into force. Um, two weeks after this rule for personal vehicles came uh, or sort of was proposed, um, the U.S. Congress passed a bill which rescinded a different EPA rule that imposed new emission standards for heavy trucks. Now, the White House has uh, signaled that they will veto that uh, Congress bill allowing the EPA rule that regulates uh, heavy duty trucks emissions to come into force. But it is just another, you know, indicator for, for our listeners to think about here as as this isn't a smooth ride so to the speed. Now, even though uh rulemaking may be going back and forth and perhaps there's some uh uncertainty or lack of clarity on these issues, what we're also paying attention to is what um what industry is actually doing. And so we're seeing that uh, automakers are really marching ahead, both here in, for U.S. domicile companies as well as for global ones, in increasing uh, very rapidly their capacity to bring electric vehicle models on the road and into the market. Um, and our uh, CIO estimate is that, globally uh, by twenty thirty, we we do expect that new car sales um, would be sixty um, percent electric vehicles. Um, so at least at a global level, um, in our in our view, um, we we see consistency with some of these rulemaking around the world as well
0: will be interesting to see how these proposals in the U.S. take shape, as you put it, Montia, a contentious topic down in Washington, though it does sound like there's a lot of opportunity as far as impact. You cited those figures. So building off that a bit in terms of industry beneficiaries, Gita, thematically speaking, what areas or industries do you feel stand to benefit from these new standards implemented by the EU proposed in the U.S.? We'll see what comes from that. What looks compelling? over the longer term from your vantage point
2: so clearly as i mentioned earlier when market forces and corporate action combined with policy we see you know lasting longer term longer duration opportunity and what we have tried to do is to identify not only the leading companies which can get kind of crowded uh in terms of renewable energy in terms of energy efficiency in terms of uh uh, uh, broader adoption of these regulations and implementation of these, we, we find it's opp- a greater opportunity to go deeper into the value chain, to look at components, to look at exposure or corporate transformations that are happening, things that our proprietary in-house ESG work, experienced ESG work, and our fundamental research enables us to see, and that our engagement can catalyze and sustain. So this could be a long-lasting but varying opportunity set across many themes, including, uh, and uh, although the regulation is the focus of this work, there are clearly broader uh, supportive trends all around, which have been brought to the forefront by the fossil fuel uh, price uh, action of the last year or so, as well as the um, pandemic crisis that we went through. So we look at this as not only happening within the, the energy and energy transformation space, but really in you know, a global reconstruction of supply chains, the greater penetration of digital transformation, the importance of cybersecurity, the importance of uh, digital human rights. There also, and also interestingly, a disruption in global supply chains, which is, presents a risk and an opportunity both in emerging as well as developed markets because the just in time model of the last decade or two is no longer a realistic uh, option. So where do the opportunities lie in industrial op- automation in terms of uh, 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 reconfiguring of this? So very exciting time, in fact, to see um, maybe revisit. Uh, and I throw into this also. Uh, the healthcare-related concerns, the adoption of electronically-delivered uh, services, the increase in diagnostic technology uh, use, as well as sophistication. So an exciting time to be looking kind of a little beyond the immediately obvious thematic impacts, but really to focus more on the sophistication of what these longer-term trends supported with policy, or maybe not. I mean, we don't want to make it that if the policy aspect isn't supported, that everything falls apart. And that's why it's important, I think, to be mindful of the much broader
0: It does sound like an exciting time, Gita, as you put it, when you consider, as you laid it out for us, the substantial scope of opportunity across various industries, but also regions around the globe as well. So thank you for expanding on that for us. Uh, Moving on to our next topic for today. So the timing of our conversation this month, it's interesting. It actually coincides with the kickoff of the 2023 proxy season. We've covered this on prior podcasts in years past. Though for 2023, Amantia, what would you identify as being some of the focuses, themes on the minds of shareholders for this year?
1: Sure. And it's interesting, um, actually, in some ways, the the proxy season and, and what we're seeing there is a very good illustration that supports the point that, that you just made, Gita, which is even though we're all watching, regulation is not all about regulatory action. There's, that's one just one leg of the kind of the, the incentive and driver's tool here. But what shareholders and stakeholders expect of companies and how they're adjusting is another one. So the proxy season is um, really the, the time of the year where there are shareholder meetings and uh, and shareholders or or their advisors essentially uh, vote on, on proposals that, that uh, are made to company management um, or requiring uh, some sort of t- change or another. Uh, this is also the time of the year when shareholders vote to approve uh, or reject any new directors uh, for, for company boards. Um, so this year, when we're looking at data from the uh, proxy preview, which is uh, hosted by the nonprofit, um, as you saw, uh, we see that in, in some ways the trends we've been discussing over the last couple of years um, are, are strong and they're, they're, they're going stronger. So um, of more than 500 or so shareholder resolutions that were filed to date uh, around topics of environmental, social, or governance, so, um, kind of focused. Almost a third of them are calling for greater climate action uh or from companies or for greater climate related or emissions related disclosure. Um, a lot of these proposals are focusing on asking companies to set targets, uh report on these targets, um, as well as uh disclose more clearly their their carbon emissions. Um so this, this as an ask uh, from from investors to companies, has been really on the on the increase uh, for the last at least three years, if not longer. Um, we're also seeing social topics and social proposals come on the agenda. But interestingly, um, it seems that the the flavor of um, kind of shareholder resolutions around social topics changes year on year. Um, so. In 2021, a lot of the social proposals were focused on diversity, uh, on the heel in particular on the, of the protests and, uh, around Black Lives Matter um, that was very prominent at the time. In 2022, a lot of the focus is around political involvement and donations and corporate lobbying transparency. Um, And now we're seeing a a record number of proposals around questions of healthcare as as tied to benefits or support that companies uh, are committing to provide to their employees to retain them uh, in uncertain uh, kind of environments. So these are some of the areas that we're observing. And an interesting trend this year, which in some ways is expected if we look at headlines is, um, that we've seen a, um, increased number of resolutions that are, would be quote unquote anti-ESG that would require companies to focus on their fiduciary responsibility and, uh, not consider these additional issues. Now, um, while this number of these types of proposals has increased compared to last year, Um, historically, uh, anti-ESG proposals have not been supported, and we don't um, foresee that uh, any explicitly anti-ESG resolutions will be adopted by shareholders. Um, But that's definitely an interesting area that we're watching as well.
0: Anything, Gita, on this topic you would like to add to? Because it's one that we've been watching very closely, so would appreciate maybe some of your views and perspective, what you've been picking up on.
2: Yeah, uh, I definitely agree with Amantia's comment that the pro-ESG resolutions vastly outnumber the anti-ESG. And we have actually, as investors, a lot of opportunity to use our proxy voting to share with management our support for reasonable ESG proposals. This is a way, as you, as you know, of communicating shareholders' opinions to management. And we generally, like uh, we last year, I think voted in favour of 88% of shareholder proposals. We have a proxy voting guideline. This is an important asset of invest, of the end client, of the investor. So it's an asset that must be utilised as voice. And we also have a little bit of uh, opportunity here to disclose information on shareholder proposals, how we voted, so that we can uh, build more awareness of that and also inform companies on how and why we go to the particular way to spark a discussion. Um, Of course, we also file our own. Uh, In the overall theme of things, uh, it's my hope that that will become the benchmark such that the the focus on the anti-ESG proposals, uh, which is unusual, and I take it as a compliment that people who have built this movement that uh, those our tools are being adopted. Uh, but we have made a difference and we have, uh, I think, gained impact uh, over over this period.
0: Well, some encouraging takeaways there and beyond voting on proxies, longer term shareholder engagement is a way to, of course, drive change through investing. So, Gita, can you pull back the curtain a bit for us and maybe provide a few examples to our listeners, our clients on what typical engagement conversations look like?
2: Happy to. I should, say that uh, what I meant by my last comment is that it's important to vote against if you're against the anti-DSG, and that it's important to codify maybe in proxy voting guidelines how you stand on that, because both pro and anti are messages. Um, uh, Meaningful change, you know, to your question, uh, happens not just through the proxy voting process. We think it also happens off ballot. Uh, In fact, the lead-up to the proxy voting. Uh, process or the process by which a shareholder proposal is filed is really the last step because shareholder voice can be heard through a lot of avenues, and it's important to exercise that voice. And so we start from initial purchase. Uh, When we do the research on a company, we identify why it passes, why we like the company, uh, why it uh, meets our high ESG standards. But we also note the areas for improvement that could uh, materially change the company in a direction that would be helpful, where they are lagging their peers. Uh, that's particularly uh, an issue that we like to focus on. Um, so our research would be the basis for our conversations. We do letter writing. We do sh- uh, dialogue. And we have long, lengthy interactions with companies. Now, we have a ex- long experience of doing this and a team that's very uh, in, in uh, leadership roles. And so they do take our calls, and we have a lot of very good, uh conversations now typically our research highlights that when uh the proxy you know when you file proxy um then your odds of getting a majority vote are not very high unless you also then engage with the proxy advisory uh, uh services etc now we had uh an 80% success rate last year in the 15 proposals that we uh Filed in the 2022 proxy season, but typically we prefer not to go to ballot. A large majority of our successes come from a negotiated withdrawal of the proxy with a commitment from the company to meet, essentially, to comply with many of the asks in, the, in a, what that would have been in our ballot. So I feel that it's important that we engage as owners of a company, understanding the company and its competitors, wanting the ongoing long-term prosperity of the company. And also, uh, it, that interaction gives us a sense of the quality of management, how future-prepared they are. Uh, some very important uh, regulation and disclosure requirements are coming up. Is the company prepared uh, for those? Can, they, can we shareholders engage to improve our company's preparedness? We are on the same side as management. We want the long-term uh, prosperity of the company. And that's an important aspect in our dynamic. A um, lot of emerging issues, digital uh, human rights, diversity, um, ethical AI, uh, including, uh, of course, water, climate change, deforestation, biodiversity, the big issues of our time.
0: Gita, it's very interesting to hear about your firm's involvements to drive change. So thank you for the transparency there. I do want to thank you both again, Gita Amatia, for spending some time with our listeners, our clients here today on the Sustainable Investing Perspectives Podcast on the UBS Conversations Podcast channel. Thank you for covering all of the timely ground that you did for our listeners, our clients, sharing your insights and looking forward to having a follow-up at some point. But thank you again for your time today.
1: Thank you very much. Yeah, thank you both.